I appreciate Trish talking about crying. Those of you who know baseball know this isn't my crying pillow. Just for the record, that's not my crying pillow. This morning we want to talk about Hebrews chapter 11. We've been working through bits and pieces in Paul's letter, the Apostle's letter to the Hebrews, and probably one of the more familiar parts of the letter to the Hebrews is chapter 11, the faith chapter. The, it's a question that comes up when the denomination is licensing um, people to be pastors in the Christian Missionary Alliance. It's a question that comes up during ordination council, typically, to see if they know where the faith chapter is in the Bible. But actually, it's a little more than chapter 11. And so in the sermon title that's on the bulletin cover there, it actually goes back to chapter 10. This idea of faith goes back to chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, page 1113, if you're working out of the Bible uh, in the pew in front of you, page 1113, it actually goes back to chapter 10 and picks it up at verse 19. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain, that is his body, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, here it is, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a, a guilty conscience, and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. So those two concepts, that internally, as a follower of Jesus, we can have this assurance of faith, confidence, conviction, and then this other side of it, that God is faithful, begins long before chapter 11 begins. But we also know that chapter 11 is all about faith. Go down to the end of chapter 10, uh, verse 38, where the apostle quotes from the Old Testament, the verse that's used by Paul in, in his letter to Romans, but my righteous one will live by faith and I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. We are not of those who shrink back and destroyed, but we are of those who believe and are saved. So this whole background, before we get to Hebrews chapter 11, it talks us about faith. There is some background that sort of sets the stage why the apostle needs to spend 40 verses, if you will, talking about faith and examples of faith and samples of faith. Because it's, it's the undergirding, it's the foundation for our relationship with God through Jesus. The righteous one will live by faith. We are not of those who shrink back, but of those who believe and are saved. So it's directly related to everything we talk about in terms of our relationship with God and our life with Jesus. And then it doesn't just end at chapter 11, it actually continues on to chapter 12. And so we'll look at that a little later as we get to the uh, end of the sermon. Hebrews chapter 1 or sorry, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Faith in the, in the Blue Bibles, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients, the ancestors, were commended for. It's an interesting word, ancients, ancestors. It's the word that is often translated in the New Testament for elders. They're not talking about elders here. They're talking about old-timers. 
And no, this isn't my pew pillow, just for the record. The ancients, the old timers, were commended for their faith. But before he gets into stories, the apostle is kind of technical. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 in the NIV, Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Words like evidence and words of, of words like conviction are often used. So certainty, conviction, evidence. Faith is the evidence of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. There are some really technical words. Some very, what we would, I think, say are very scientific kind of words. Evidence, conviction, uh, certainty. Those words can distort our understanding of faith. And we can look at those and say, well, I believe because of the evidence. Or, I believe and therefore I am dead sure that this is right. Because it's been proven. And so we take these words proof, certainty, evidence, conviction, and it's, it's easy to kind of twist them to focus on us and how we came to faith. But when we do that, our faith sounds more like self-confidence rather than God-confidence. Because what the apostle is saying, he is saying faith is the evidence of these things. The fact that you and I have faith is evidence of things hoped for and things not seen. If you have, ha if you have faith, and even if I was to say, if you had faith in Christ. Now, if you were in that category of had faith in Christ, you probably wouldn't be here this morning. But it applies to that too. If you have faith, that comes not from ourselves, not from us processing and doing the math and doing the, um, the evidence addition and the uh, calculations and being whatever our preferred percentage is for certainty. Saying, yeah, I believe. What the apostle is saying is, your faith, if you have faith, it's evidence. Your faith is the evidence. Your faith is the conviction. That you have faith is evidence of God at work in you. It's your faith, not the evidence, that is the assurance of things hoped for. We sang this morning about being chosen, that we're adopted. God chose us. We didn't choose Him. The Bible talks about God's Spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. You see, something happens to stir in us, stir us towards God, God's direction. There's something that happens in us that prompts us, nudges us, pushes us, pulls us towards God. That you have faith is evidence of the Holy Spirit at work in you. There is an inner witness that kicks in when we are confronted with the revelation of who God is. And that's not my doing. That's what the Apostle is saying. It's not me drumming up or creating or developing faith. It's something that God gives. And that faith is itself, well, Ephesians chapter 2. Saved by faith, not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. 
right? Faith is a gift. Faith is not something that you and I come up with and say, yeah, I think I want to seek God. What the apostle is saying is any, any indication, any pointing myself in God's direction comes not from me, it comes from God. A work of the Spirit of God that has already taken place in my life. And if I have faith, that itself is evidence. And even if I had faith, and this fits in what Hebrews talks about to those who shrink back, to those who turn back away from God, makes it so significant in, in what they are turning away from and, and the outcome which is not a good outcome because you're turning away not from your conclusions about God, you're turning away from what God has done in your life. So it's faith. It's not the evidence. It's not the proof. It's not my convictions. It's not my certainty. But it's faith that starts with God, that starts with the Holy Spirit at work in me. The inner witness and then my response the divine revelation. So there's that kind of technicality part, right? But I, I think it's hugely important for you and me to understand that, yeah, faith is not about my calculations or my initial faith, initial drawing to God, initial interest in God doesn't come from me. That comes from God. And when we understand that, then we say, wait a second. No matter what else is going on around me, and there was a lot going on around the, the believers that this letter is written to. There was all kinds of stuff. Uh, hardship, harassment, persecution, opposition, uh, suffering the loss of all kinds of things. And then now that now their church was shrinking as people were turning back to their old ways in, in, uh, in Judaism, in the, in the religion of the Israelites. Faith is being certain of what we hope for and convinced of what we do not see. So that distinction, I, I think, is, is hugely important for us. And sometimes we've sort of got lost in this other track that makes it sound more like self-confidence rather than God-confidence. Verse 6 is another one that sort of gives a generic description of faith. Verse 6, Hebrews 11, Without faith it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. Well, how do I come to believe that God exists? Do I figure it out? Do I think it through? Again, it starts with God. Why, why would I even be interested in, in coming to God? I, outside of God, I have no interest in coming to God. Left on my own, I have no interest in coming to God. There's nothing in me that is going to draw me to God. It's only God who draws me to God. And a number of times in this letter, the apostles talked about drawing near to God. Let us draw near and receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This whole idea of drawing near to God, but God is invisible. God is invisible. John chapter 1. No one has seen God at any time. Jesus is invisible. Right now, where is he? He's in heaven. Hebrews chapter 7, 8 and 9. Jesus is in heaven, interceding for us. So God's invisible. Jesus is invisible for us. The Holy Spirit's invisible. So faith is being sure 
of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. So fortunately, after these sort of technical things, especially the technical stuff in 11.1, then the apostle just tells stories. Everybody breathe a sigh of relief. The technical stuff is over. Now we're just hearing stories. And there's stories, some we know, some we don't know. And he, first of all, he talks about three people, Abel, Enoch, and Noah. We probably know the story of Abel, killed by Cain. We might not be so sure of the story of Enoch, and we probably know a little bit the story of Noah. The interesting thing about all these three people, their story and their story of faith is about being commended by God, about being accepted by God, about being pleasing to God. Interesting. By faith, these individuals were pleasing to God. Through faith, these individuals were commended by God. And with faith, these ind- individuals in- in received the approval of God. Wow. Who doesn't want to be accepted by God, approved by God, and pleasing to God? That all came through faith. Now remember, faith isn't something you and I drum up. Faith isn't something you and I create. Faith is something that's given. Right? You want to be approved by God? You want to be pleasing to God? You want to be commended by God? Do you want to hear God say to you at the end of your life, well done, good and faithful servant? Do you want to know that the one who gave you life and breath will receive you at the, well, by faith? By faith. And we know, as far as Noah was concerned, right? Very flawed person. Very flawed individual. So it's not about perfection. But it is about God's approval. So in this first wave of stories, the story of Abel, the story of Enoch, the story of Noah, these individuals were pleasing to God, they were approved by God, they were commended by God because of their faith. The next wave of individuals is about individuals who are obedient to God. So there's the approved by God group of people. Then there's the obedient to God group of people. Abraham, Sarah, and then again Abraham. Pretty key people, especially Abraham, the father of Israel, the one who received the initial uh, promise from God that through him all the nations of the world would be blessed. He would have a child and through him all the nations of the world would be blessed and his children would be as the sands of the sea and the stars in the sky. The beginning of the people of Israel, the beginning of the nation of Israel and the promises of God that would come through Israel. So there's, there's verses 8 to 19 are about Abraham and Sarah and then again about Abraham. Verses 13 to 16 are sort of the, the key, again, sort of a summary verse, but you get some of the threads that are happening in these people's lives. Uh, Hebrews 11, verse 13. Again, I'm reading out of the blue Bible. I'm working off a photocopy because I like to highlight and I like to mark things up and I didn't want to wreck the church Bible. But I didn't want to be on the agenda at the board meeting on Tuesday. By the way, by the way, I will be in the office Tuesday afternoon and Wednesday morning. Um, it didn't make the bulletin this week, my, my bad, uh, but I will be in the office this week uh, Tuesday afternoon, Wednesday morning, and we have a board meeting Tuesday night. Verse 13. So he's talked about Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, and Sarah. Verse 13, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. 
They only saw things, saw them, and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. So as, as, as important as their faith was, and being approved by God, and their obedience that was prompted by their faith to God, they did not receive the things promised. They only saw them. Ah, there's that seeing things that are invisible, right? By faith, seeing the unseen. And welcomed them from a distance, received them, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. You may remember the old hymn, This world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. Kind of the idea. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. So God has a country, God has a city that he is preparing for the faithful, those who live by faith. And this particular group of individuals didn't receive what was promised. They didn't arrive, if you will, but they were still looking forward. There, there was this anticipation, there's this looking ahead kind of idea. But they're living as foreigners and strangers, pilgrims and aliens on this earth. They're, they're functioning, they're living from day to day, they're, they're being obedient to God and not always in, in the best of circumstances. Their faith is lived out. Their faith is applied to life. It's more than belief in doctrine. It's more than just saying, yeah, here's the things I believe in and check the list off and say, that's good. I'm done. I can do as I want and do as I please. Faith is more than belief in doctrine and more than propositional truth. Faith motivates our choices. Faith measures our reactions. And hopefully, at least, if nothing else, it helps us to mind our manners. Faith shows us how to treat one another. And again, dealing with the unseen, dealing with the unknown, dealing with the not yet, just as they are, so are you and I. We're, we know the promises that God has for us, but have we experienced them all? Some of them will not happen until after we see Jesus and meet Jesus. So there's this idea of, first of all, acceptable to God. Then the story of Abraham and Sarah is about obedience to God and living a life by faith in obedience to Him. Where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. But then with faith, there's also this idea of a future with God. The unseen, but the promise. Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses. Interesting, the story of Moses, if you work through the, the pages, on uh, the verses on Hebrews chapter 11, when you get to Moses, Moses' parents, verse 23, by faith Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw, they saw he was no ordinary child. That's, I mean, all of us as parents, right, think our child's extraordinary. But there was something about Moses' situation his parents saw beyond the physical, beyond the material, and they saw in Moses by faith. They saw he was no ordinary child, and they were not afraid of what the Pharaoh would do. And then Moses himself, verse 27, by faith Moses left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. 
So this idea of, of looking forward and anticipating the future, not to escape the present, but rather to looking forward to what is as yet unseen. Because God will do what he says he will do. He is trustworthy. He is faithful to his word, as we read in, in chapter 10. This, so, so we've gone from being approved by God, being obedient to God, and now in this future there is this um, idea of the reward that God has for us. What's the goal? What is the goal? What is, what is the future purpose of God? Well, Hebrews talks about it in terms of all things in subjection to Christ, which for the readers at the time would be pretty important given the things that have been happening to them, um, the way they've been treated, the way they've been um, harassed and uh, the opposition they've had and so on. Um, the, the, the reversal, the reversal of all the injustices that have ever happened, the weak made strong, the wrongs being made right, when all things come in subjection to Christ, certainly that is something for these Hebrew uh, Christians to look forward to. So there is this anticipation in the lives of these people. There is this anticipation of the future. Whether it's Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, um, the people themselves. Verse, 27, verse 29, by faith the people passed through the Red Sea. Why? Because God was taking them to a different place. They passed through the Red Sea on dry land, and when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. Verse 30, by faith the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around them for seven days. Remember our, what do these stones mean? We spent a lot of time in the book of Joshua. What do these stones mean? The faithfulness of God. By faith the prostitute Rahab. Wait a second. What about Joshua? We spent all this time talking about Joshua. I think we must have spent six or eight weeks talking about Joshua. Be strong and courageous, Joshua. Be str which, how is that any different from be faithful, Joshua? Be strong and courageous, Joshua. And who gets mentioned? Rahab, the prostitute, the Canaanite. Bit of a surprise, I would think, to the first listeners of this letter, given their Jewish background, given their familiarity with the history in the Old Testament. Just as Rahab is listed since we're talking about Christmas this morning and a Christmas program, just as Rahab is listed in the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1, like, who'd have thunk it? Talk about not seeing that coming. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. And that's sort of the end of the specific stories. But then follow chapter 11 verse 32 the apostle says what more shall I say we know there's other people there's other stories there's all kinds of other stories in the Old Testament there's the story of Gideon Barak Samson Jephthah about David and Samuel and the prophets I can't help but think there's some Jewish scholars maybe listening to this letter when it's first read or they know their Old Testament so well and they go really you spent more time talking about Rahab than you did David verse 33 who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Okay, that's the winner's side of the story. Let's talk about the losers, verse 36. Some faced jeers and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. 
They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and caves and holes and in the ground. We would say the losers. Both, both groups, as far as the apostle is concerned, were known for their faith. And I, and I think the idea is sort of to, for the listeners to now kind of say, okay, what, what group do you see yourself in? I think for the Hebrew Christians who are reading this letter for the first time, they're kind of putting themselves in the second group because things aren't going very well. Things aren't working out as they had thought. You know, we sang the phrase, all your ways are sure. I'm not so sure the Hebrew Christians are, are so sure about that because life is kind of coming against them. Life is kind of pushing back at them. It's not going as they had planned. Oh, they had been good at the beginning. We talked about their good start in Hebrews chapter 10 and the way that they just hit the ground running and they were able to, to withstand the opposition. Things were taken from them. They lost things. They were put in prison and so on. I think that would probably be where they would land. Verse 39. These were all, all, all of these people, whatever side you come on, are commended for their faith. Yet none of them received what had been promised. For God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Another way of translating verse 40. They can't receive the prize for the end of the race until we finish the race. They, these Old Testament saints, these ancestors, these old timers, can't receive their reward for faith until we finish the race. What's the goal? What's the finish line? What's, what's, the, what's the vision? What, what are we looking at here? If, if our faith is future-oriented, then what, what's, what's the goal? Well, that's where chapter 12 comes in. So it doesn't end at chapter 11. It, ends, it goes into chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded... And notice, we talked about this before, how these we, these, these collective statements, back in chapter 10, when I moved this back a little bit from chapter 11, back to chapter 10, let us, let us, let us, chapter 12, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. What's the race? Fixing our eyes on Jesus. The author and the finish. The author. Our faith comes from Jesus. Jesus. Jesus writes it in our hearts. I don't create it. I don't start it. I don't think, man, searching for God is a good thing. That doesn't come from me. Jesus is the author of our faith. Not just that he's the one it's about, but it comes from him by his spirit. It starts up in me because of him. The author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scoring a shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, where all things will ultimately be in subjection to him. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary, shrink back, and lose heart. That's the goal. The goal is to be one with God in Christ. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. The goal is Jesus. Jesus. 
Whether it's success or whether it's apparent failure, the goal is Jesus. So, where does that leave us? ESTD. Living by faith is easier said than done. Living by faith is easier sung than done. <laughs> it's easy to sing about it. It's very tough to live it. I think we just need that reminder. To live by faith, to live as Abraham and Sarah and Moses and whether other faith stories sort of come to mind, living by faith is easier said than done. Because it relates to the unseen, it relates to the invisible. Paul says we walk by faith, not by sight. But in essence, it, whole, it all started because of the invisible. God is invisible. Jesus is in heaven interceding for us as our advocate on our behalf before God. And the Holy Spirit is invisible. But there is evidences. There is manifestations. There is fruit. We walk by faith, not by sight. And if you have faith, remember how it came. Living by faith is easier said than done. It's active. It, there's action involved. But make no mistake about it, it's difficult. Living by faith, secondly, is vertical and horizontal. I was reminded of the importance of, of trust uh, in all our relationships. Vertical, or horizontal, sorry. Vertical, thank you. <laughs> An idiot. Uh, <laughs> Vertical with God, I think that's obvious. Right? I think we got that obvious. But faith is also horizontal. Faith is, is relational. Um, football fans, maybe you've heard commentary. I mean, most of your writers fans, Trish wasn't wearing my rider gear today. Um, most of your writers fans, you ever hear Peterson or whatever on the radio and, the, and then the line didn't do their job. Have you ever heard them say, well, they're not trusting each other? Because each lineman has a certain job on, a, on a, whether you're blocking or whether you're uh, on the offensive line or the defensive line. You have a job. And sometimes the line breaks down when the, the guard doesn't trust the tackle to do his job. And so you often hear the commentators talk about that. Um, this past week, yeah, it was my crying, crying pillow for one night. Um, in uh, game four, we were swept in four games. Um, but there was a play in about the fourth inning. We had a, a new right fielder in. He's, he's not our best defensive right fielder, but he's been hit, hitting okay. So they put him in right field. High fly ball. The second baseman goes back. The first baseman goes back. The right fielder's coming in, and apparently he's calling for it. But what the commentator said, the second baseman didn't trust him because he's not a very good defender. He's not very good defensively. And so the second baseman got closer and closer. So Martinez backed off, even though he was calling for it. Why? because they didn't trust each other. How important is trust in our relationships with one another? And then I went to, I went to my grandson's uh, hockey practice yesterday, and so I'm sitting behind the glass, staying warm for the first bit, and he comes up to the glass and he's getting in line to do one of his drills, and I notice on the back of his jersey now, he's seven years old, I have no idea what division that's in, but on the back of his jersey, up high, right by the neck, is a little stop sign, and the word is respect. Just remind me. Now, we might have a hard time trusting. And we'll talk about this a little bit more next week. 
but I realize it's hard to trust because there's all kinds of reasons not to trust people, right? But we must, as a body of believers, respect. We must respect everyone. Next week I'm going to talk about what, Paul, what the Apostle says in chapter 13 about obeying your leaders. But at least respect. At least respect. Across the board. Living by faith is vertical, thank you, and horizontal. Living by faith has a future orientation. Living by faith has a future orientation. As a mind of the words of an old hymn, it's not in our hymn books here at Estevan Alliance Church, but some of you may recognize it. Sometimes the day seems long, our trials hard to bear. We're tempted to complain, to murmur, and despair. But Christ will soon appear to catch his bride away. All tears forever over in God's eternal day. At times the sky seems dark with not a ray of light. We're tossed and driven on. No human help in sight. But there is one in heaven who knows our deepest care. Let Jesus solve your problem. Just go to him in prayer. I have a problem with that line about Jesus solving our problem because I think our idea of Jesus solving my problem is always his idea of what needs to solve my problem. But this future orientation, it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Life's trials will seem so small when we see Christ. One glimpse of his dear face, all sorrow will erase. So bravely run the race till we see Christ. It's not my pew pillow. It's not my crying pillow. It's my physio pillow. I've been getting physio on my shoulders probably since March. Um, this shoulder, my good shoulder, I'm left-handed. My good shoulder, I wrecked it last Christmas Eve carrying my six, then six-year-old grandson from the outdoor rink. We had a great two hours, I think I told you the story, on the outdoor rink and those of us who were older sort of forgot about the kids and we had to carry the boys back to the truck two blocks or whatever because their feet were freezing. So I carried my grandson for about two blocks back to the truck and after that I stretched or strengthened, I don't know what. So by the time end of February came around, it wasn't get, you know, the older you get, you got to get a little longer to get better and so I gave it a long stretch, I thought, and I said, okay, I guess I better go to physio. So I went to get this one looked at and she's noticing how this, this one has been bad. I can't remember, 15 years this one's been bad. I can only reach up so high, I can't reach back very far. Anyway, so she starts giving me physio. And so part of that was this on the armrest of the car, because on the arm I'm slouching, right? And this is the shoulder. For all the miles I put in, the shoulder's down. Anyway, so she gives, so Sharon made me this. I just got this yesterday, so this is brand new, but I was using a, a blanket or something on the, on the armrest. So I went to her for about, seven, eight sessions, and it was okay, it was getting better, and then my daughter told me about a better physiotherapist, and so I thought, well, I'll try him. So I tried this other physiotherapist. Two weeks ago, I'm sitting in his office, and he's trying to get, th this, this shoulder's good now, this one is kind of, I don't know, I came to the conclusion this is as good as it's going to get. 
Now my physiotherapist doesn't think that's as good as it's going to get. But I came to the conclusion, yeah, it's up that high. Well, that's better than it was. You know, and I can reach back. That's better. It doesn't ache all the time. That's better than it was. But my physiotherapist actually believes he can get it as good as this one. And at the end of the session, I'm walking out of the car and I'm thinking, ah, I'm done. I'm done. It's good enough. I can live with this for however many years or left. I, you know, it's good. Why do I do that? Here's the person who is certified, credentialed, trained, experienced, and they say, here's where you can get to. Here's where the finish line is. But why, when I'm leaving, I'm basically convinced I'm done? Maybe I'm tired of paying the bills? Maybe. Maybe I'm tired of the pain? Maybe I'm tired of the every day having to figure out, okay, what, what, what are the three reps I have to do and what, and remember the order and, and all that? Because what I've done along the way is I've taken a little bit from what she gave me in the first six physios, and I've taken some, most of what he's given me in the last six physios, and I got this collection of different things I do. How do I even know if they're fighting each other? She's got me doing different things, and I'm, I'm doing some of her things and doing some of his things. Why, why in the world would I even think I'm smarter than my physiotherapist? But you know what? That's exactly what we do with faith. That's exactly what we do with God. We reach a certain point, I think, and we say, okay, uh, I think this is good. I, I like where it is. Um, we've come this far. I'm further ahead, that, but I, you know, I think that's far enough. The rest looks kind of hard. The rest looks kind of painful. The rest looks like it might really get in my way of the things that are going on in my life, and so I stop. What do I end up with? I end up with my version of what God wants for me. What are my favorite things? And I know Sound of Music is going to be coming on the TV very soon, and so when you're hearing here a few of my favorite things, figure out what your favorite things are and see how they fit in with God's favorite things for you and me. Here's my favorite things. Here's my preferences. Here's, here's the things I like in the Bible. Here's the things I don't like in the Bible. Here's the verses I always go to, and here's the books I always go to, but here's the ones I don't go to because they kind of challenge my faith. They force me to think. So what do we end up with? We end up with a smaller God. We end up with a smaller Bible. What was it that new song Rick and the team taught us? He's bigger than I thought. <laughs> Here we're shrinking things about God and how he should work and what he should do. And yet he's always, he's always bigger, bigger than I thought. You know in that whole physio thing? I didn't even Google it once. I didn't. I know docs hate it when you Google whatever your symptom is. They hate it. But what that, that's what we do, right? We shape it. The goal isn't Christ-shaped. The goal is self-shaped. So we go back to faith. We go back to that idea in chapter 11, verse 1, right? Faith, that you have faith, comes not from, God, not from you, but it comes from God. It's not something I create. It's not something I generate. It's not something I desire. It's something God puts in me, and that comes from God. And that makes that link, I think, even stronger. The goal is to be Christ-shaped, not self-shaped. And yes, 
there will be challenges. But to live by faith as directed by the Word of God. Let's pray, and Rick and the worship team will lead us in a closing song. Father, thank you for reminding us that the faith we have in us comes from you. Father, thank you that you have stirred our hearts towards you. Thank you that you have drawn us to yourself. Thank you that you have made yourself known to us before we even knew you. Father, thank you that you loved us before we even had an inkling of interest, never mind love for you. Father, thank you for that work of grace in our lives. And may that faith that you've implanted in us give us growing confidence in you, not in ourselves. In Jesus' name.